You can save every day by shopping at Whole Foods Market. Seriously, don't just go for the big sales. Walk the store and see the savings for yourself. In the seafood department, look for the yellow low price sign on Whole Foods Market Responsibly Farm Salmon. This fish is perfect for the grill. Buttery, fatty, yet lean, nice thick fillets. I'm getting hungry just thinking about it, and I know I can get it at a great price. There's so many ways to save at Whole Foods Market. Now you know. If a friend asks how you're doing, and you say, I'm okay. When the truth is, I don't want my problems to burden anyone. Or you say, Hang it in there. Because if I ask for help, they'll just think I'm weak. Then this is your sign to call, text, or chat. 988 for free confidential support. Anytime. You don't have to hide how you feel. Grammar Girl here. I'm Mignon Fogarty, and this week I have a meeting middle about writing books with multiple point of view characters and a tidbit about why we call shows space operas and soap operas. And now on to points of view in fiction. One of the most important decisions authors make when they embark on a new manuscript is which point of view to use to best tell the story. Once you've decided between the first person and the third person, it may feel like your job is done. But wait! What if you've chosen the first-person point of view, but you want to include another first-person point of view from a different character instead of sticking to just one? How will you differentiate between the two points of view? And what benefits and risks can come with using more than one point of view? Well, most stories are told from just one point of view. If you're writing a novel about Judy and her journey to become an astronaut, you may choose to write her story in the first-person point of view. However, since the first-person point of view restricts the reader to seeing only through Judy's eyes, using one point of view can limit the sort of story you're able to tell. It may be necessary to include another point of view, so we can get the first-person perspective of another character whose knowledge and experience will deepen the manuscript. If Judy is on Earth training for her mission, and we need to know what's happening on the space station, you might include the first-person perspective of Bill, who's up in space. By including Bill's point of view, you're able to add elements to the story that are impossible to get from Judy's point of view back on Earth. So once you've decided you need to include two points of view, how do you begin? First, it's important to decide how often you should alternate between Judy and Bill. It's common to switch between characters with every new chapter, but giving each point of view half of the book isn't necessary. Instead, consider switching to the second point of view when the story dictates this switch. We might stay in Judy's point of view for the first three chapters, for example. But when we need to see what's happening in space, shift us to Bill's point of view so we can know what he knows. Even though it's not essential to split the points of view in half, if you find yourself only sprinkling in a few Bill chapters over the course of the manuscript, you should ask yourself if his point of view is truly needed. 
including only a few chapters from a second point of view, can be disorienting to the reader and feel disruptive to the form you've established. And writing only a few chapters in the second point of view is a good sign the second point of view probably isn't needed. Dual points of view can serve many purposes in your story, including adding a new and different voice, deepening the reader's understanding of your characters, and revealing plot elements that can make a big splash in your manuscript. However, working with two points of view also means that you have to make sure the two points of view sound different from each other. Each point of view needs its own individual and unique voice. If you're not sure if your points of view sound different from each other, ask a beta reader to read four chapters from two different points of view without telling them which point of view comes from which character. If they can't discern which character is narrating each point of view, you may need to look back at the voice, diction, and tone of your characters and further differentiate the dual points of view. When you're writing with dual points of view, it's essential to make both points of view equally interesting to the reader, which can be challenging. Authors often favor one point of view and put more energy and time into developing that one, which can cause the other point of view to feel underdeveloped. If you need to include two points of view, make sure that both are equally compelling and will make the reader want to keep turning the pages. In addition, it's essential that we learn different things from each point of view, rather than seeing the same scenes or information repeated. If we see Judy and Bill meeting on the space station in Judy's point of view, we shouldn't see this same scene again from Bill's perspective, unless he knows something she doesn't in this scene, and that fact is important for readers to learn. Repeating scenes in both points of view slows the manuscript's pace and can leave the reader feeling stuck. Remember, even though writing with a dual point of view is trendy, what's most important is picking the point of view that works for your story. It's always better to stick with one point of view with a strong voice than to write dual points of view that don't feel different from each other. That segment was written by Kat Brzezowski from Swoon Reads. Do you have other questions? Swoon Reads is happy to answer them for you. Check out their writing guide. I'll put a link at the end of the transcript um, for this segment on my website so you can find it at quickanddirtytips.com. And you can email them any of your pressing questions about writing, the editorial process, or publishing in general at swoonreads at macmillanusa.com. And now, why do we call certain types of TV shows operas, especially when there's no singing? Opera has been an art form since 1597, when a Florentine singer and composer created a theatrical performance in which the lines were sung instead of spoken. The soap opera has been an afternoon entertainment staple since before World War II, before television and a listener named Alouche posted a question in the Grammar Girl Facebook group, asking about the origin of the term soap opera. Good question. The dramas have no obvious relationship with soap or opera. To understand why anyone would call a 15-minute, relationship-focused radio drama a soap opera, it helps to start with an older term, horse opera. We don't refer to a horse opera much anymore, preferring the term western, 
But as early as 1917, silent movie actor William Hart was called the Caruso of horse opera. Even before the first Hollywood Western in 1903, the term was applied to equestrian entertainment of the 19th century. Maybe horse opera was coined because of the grand spectacle these shows presented. Or maybe it was the combination of art forms, just as opera combined music and theater. Mark Twain, in his letter from Carson City, mentions singing a tune from a horse opera in 1863. And an 1851 guide to the musical scene in New Orleans suggested that those with a penchant for the horse opera should seek out the amphitheater-based circus of Spalding and Rogers. Like Hollywood horse operas, soap operas were not operatic. Why soap? It wasn't about the genre, it was about the sponsors. Procter & Gamble, maker of ivory soap since the 1880s, sponsored the Guiding Light radio drama when it debuted in 1937. P&G has since produced or sponsored many of the most popular soap operas, and it still advertises its products on The Young and the Restless. After horse operas and soap operas came space operas, a term that seems to have been popularized in the 1950s for science fiction novels set in space with grand and melodramatic themes. Star Wars was deemed a space opera when it came out in 1977, and the term has been applied to Star Trek, Firefly, Flash Gordon, and Ender's Game. That segment was written by Mark Allen, a freelance copy editor who's known as Editor Mark on Twitter. And thank you to Tom, Curious Mayhem, and A Libertarian, whose grandmother was an English professor, for writing reviews at iTunes in the last few weeks. And thank you to Pablo Matic, who wrote a review at Stitcher. And I loved seeing the Where I Listen posts this week from Rhiannon, who listens in Victorian gardens in Warwickshire, England, and Anthony, who listens while, while doing his engineering homework, which kind of blew my mind because I can't even play Candy Crush while I'm listening to podcasts or audiobooks. So I'm amazed that he can do both at the same time. I'm Mignon Fogarty, better known as Grammar Girl. If you have friends who are teachers, make sure they know about Grammar Girl. A lot of teachers use it in class, but I still meet teachers who don't know about the podcast or my email newsletter. And it's the beginning of school. I start this week. That's all. Thanks for listening. This Father's Day, the Home Depot has same-day delivery on the perfect gift to help dad be everything he can be. Because your dad is more than just a dad. He's groundskeeper of the yard, the perfecter of the patio, and the cleaner of the clippings. Let the Home Depot help power dad's doing with the convenience and gas-like power of Milwaukee cordless outdoor tools. Plus, get up to $150 off select Milwaukee tools. For everything dad is, find the perfect gift at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Order select and stock items by 4 p.m. subject to availability. Look around. You can find cars like these on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.